I'm Amy Wagner. Welcome to the best of Simply Money. Each week we put together some of our favorite segments from the 55 KRC radio show exclusively for this podcast. Procter & Gamble and Fifth Third Bank reported their quarterly earnings today, but we're going to dig a little deeper. Not only what does it mean for those companies, but what does it say about our local economy? You're listening to Simply Money tonight. I'm Amy Wagner, along with Steve Sprovac. Hometown teams, P&G and Fifth Third Bank, beat Wall Street's revenue expectations, and their stocks fell this morning. Steve, it's like coming home with a report card for your parents and saying, <laughs> I got straight A's. <laughs> it, you didn't get A pluses. What's the problem here? Yeah. Huh? Well, I, I mean, it's an old Wall Street adage, uh, buy on the rumors, sell on the news. It, it's not unusual unless the, the numbers are stratospheric. But hey, Procter & Gamble, they turned out some good numbers, Amy. I, yeah. I mean, uh, revenues were reported $18.1 billion for the third quarter of its fiscal year, up 5% from the same quarter last year. Mm-hmm. Better yet, earnings, a buck twenty six beat Wall Street's estimate of a buck nineteen per share, 13% increase over the same quarter of 2020. The, the, these are good numbers. And when you think about it, what did we do over the last year? People stayed home. They used more cleaning products. They obvious. disinfected every surface yeah. in their home. Never mind Absolutely. The, the toilet paper hoarding that was going on. <laughs> I still don't get that. You know, grooming and health care. If you can't go out and cut your own hair, you're going to you know, whatever. Take care of yourself. Um, they sold you what you needed over the yeah. past year, and these numbers reflect it. Well, they do. And organic sales grew 4%, which seems like something worth celebrating. But here's the problem. It's the slowest pace since 2018. And I think what Wall Street has concerns about when it comes to Procter & Gamble is, okay, we had this banner amazing year. Due to your point, Steve, we needed all the things in this pandemic that Procter & Gamble made. I mean, honestly, there's no business that was probably better suited, better positioned going into this pandemic than P&G. But then coming out of it, are we still going to need those same things at the same level that we've been purchasing them? Well, sure. And that, that's what Wall Street is all about. It's its what have you done for me lately? We're coming yes. out of the pandemic. Are people still going to continue to buy Procter & Gamble's products or are they going to start looking at lower price products? I, I mean, that's thats always been something Procter & Gamble is, has been, been dealing with. And, and, you know, obviously they think that you're going to come back. But, uh, you know, what surprises me is, is they've come out and publicly said they're going to make some strategic choices, Amy, that include raising prices. Baby yeah. products, adult diapers, feminine care brands, 5 to 9 percent. I mean, here's inflation right right in front of us here. Well, they're announcing this. On things that are non-negotiable, right? I mean, yeah. you got a baby, you need diapers. That's what it comes down to. I mean, these are all products that are necessary. Uh, and, and what they're saying is, listen, the cost of some of the things to make those products is going up. So yeah. we're going to jack up the prices as well. We're going to pass it on to, the, to you, the consumer, and Procter & Gamble making the bet that they always have, that you're not going to choose the generic brands over the Procter right. & Gamble brands. And I don't even know. It's so ingrained in me because I'm from here. My my laundry detergent will always be tied. Mm-hmm. My toothpaste mm-hmm. will always be crest. Like it is, I wonder that though. I mean, I go straight to the Procter products when I'm in the grocery store. Uh, but I, I wonder in other places. Obviously, people do they have that same brand loyalty? Well, Procter's kind of counting on that moving forward. Well, they they, they are, and I'm not sure they should. I, I mean, you know, brand loyalty is one thing, but when you're raising prices five to nine percent. Maybe one of the people in the household has lost their job or have been downsized or reduced salary, and you really start, uh, you have to start looking at the pennies. 
this will be an interesting exercise. Does this come back and, and bite them? I, yeah. I I mean, that's that's my concern. I mean, this is a very important employer in the Cincinnati area, and if they're going to raise prices that much higher than the current inflation rate, are people how loyal are people? I guess is what I'm getting around to. Will they stick with the brand, or are people going to say? I don't know. That's a little more than I'm willing to pay. This product sounds as good, and I'll save a couple of bucks because I've got to start watching my money. Well, and for comparison's sake, the Labor Department just released last week its Consumer Price Index, and that measures what we're paying for everyday items, groceries, clothing, recreational activities, vehicles. That jumped 2.6%. And then on the other hand, you've got Procter & Gamble saying, no, 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 we're going to raise the prices on these necessities 5 to 9%. You know, that's very much outpacing inflation. It will be interesting to see how consumers respond to that. Yeah, and it's not just, okay, going out and buying a box of Tide, but we're seeing inflation everywhere. I mean, just mm-hmm. buy, you know, fill up your tank. I, I mean, yep. what's a what's a uh, tank full of gas cost compared to six months ago? I, I mean, there's most I, of the things that you eat, most of the things you buy in the grocery store. The, uh, you said non-negotiable. It's the best way of putting it. These are things that you need to live on and, and you need as part of your, your daily purchases to get through your day. And everything seems to be going up, not just a little bit, but a little bit more than a little bit. We'll see yeah. how this shakes out. Well, and I think one thing Procter & Gamble learned, you know, we all kind of learned some lessons during this pandemic. They learned that kind of anything can happen with their supply chain in, in shortages. Uh, they're trying to give themselves a little bit of breathing room right now because every obstacle, you know, think about all the obstacles that we all came across as individuals over the past year. Every obstacle for Procter & Gamble, that can mean millions of dollars in lost sales. Uh, in February, they shut down a plant due to the Texas winter storm. And of course, there was that Suez uh, canal blockage yeah. in March, which caused headaches to them. So I think they're trying to say, we're going to give ourselves as much breathing room as possible uh, so that we can continue to perform at the level in which our investors right, and Wall Street expects us to. You're listening to Simply Money tonight here on 55KRC. Uh, inside the earnings, Procter & Gamble, Fifth Third Bank, two hometown teams uh, reporting today, Fifth Third Bank, man, Steve, they crushed expectations. Uh, crushing is an understatement. Yeah, they, their net income available to common shareholders jumped over 2,000% to $674 million from one year ago. They are 93 cents a share versus 69 cents. These, these are massive numbers. And, and you know, Amy, there, there's a good lesson out of this. Besides, obviously, being a, a well-run bank, um, people still remember 2008. And we're starting to see the stock market hit new levels. Is there a bubble? Real estate's getting hot. Is that in a bubble? Are we starting to see the precursors of another 2008 debacle? This tells me, no, I don't have that concern because here is one of the larger banks in in the area, and they have been doing everything they need to to protect themselves from a, a financial meltdown. They've been increasing reserves. Um, they, they've been, you know, uh, reasonable with lending standards and not giving money away to anybody that can that, that can fog a mirror like like we saw some banks do yeah. in 2008. No and, question. And, and the, the whole point is, okay, the reserves that they've set aside for the bad loans over the, uh, over the pandemic didn't go bad. Yeah. It, things aren't as bad as people thought they might get. And here you've got a bank that put a lot of money away in reserves, and they don't need to keep that much in reserves now because the economy is healthier than a lot of people were expecting it to be. 
Well, and I think there are federal regulations in place now, right, yep. to make sure that banks can't make the same stupid choices that they made in the early 2000s, which led us to the crash of, you know, 2008. Um, but I think banks also learned their own lesson. Okay, we also want to protect ourselves. We want to protect our, our shareholders and our employees and our, our customers. Uh, so, yeah, they set aside $1.1 billion in those reserves, and they yep. didn't even need much of it because those losses kind of didn't come about as they had predicted. Uh, right. But glad to see that they made smart decisions like that, right? Batten down the hatches in, yeah. in order to make sure that they were okay for the storm. It's like you and me going through a, a rough period in, in the economy and worrying about your job. And maybe we should, you know, bulk up savings and not buy that. Should we have we had an emergency at? fund, right? Exactly. It's like, we oh, maybe this. we should have. Companies do the same thing. And, and here's a case where Fifth Third said, okay, we can release $173 million from our loan loss reserves in the first quarter because those loans didn't go bad. We don't need it. And, and that's on top of their fee income jumped 12% from a, a year ago, commercial banking revenue up 23%. I mean, this is a company doing the right things and the economy being a little stronger than a lot of people thought it would be at this point in time. So what's the deal with Wall Street here, right? I mean, yeah. we've got two companies. Yeah. We're talking about local companies, strong earnings reports, and yet Wall Street, you know, they're down a little bit on the market today. You have to understand Wall Street is constantly looking not at today or tomorrow. Nah. And they're six months, they're a year yeah. out, and they're looking at these numbers, projecting forward, can we continue at this level? You know, I mean, it's truly like the parent who, when you bring home the A, no, I thought you were going to get an A+. plus. That's what Wall Street's looking for. Yeah, no question. It's never the rear view mirror with investing in, in the stock market. It's like I said, it's uh, what have you done for me? Not lately, but in the future. It's all about future cash flows. So, OK, that's great. But now the hoarding is over for toilet paper and, you know, we're getting through this pandemic. What are you doing over the next year? I, I think this drives people crazy when, when they see bad news in the stock market goes up or good news in the stock market goes down. It's not about today. It's yeah. about six, nine months, even a year uh, down the road. And that's where you have concerns. And I have been at some of these days when Proctor um, reports earnings. And um, I got to tell you, there are so many people here locally who have a ton sure. invested in these companies. And here's just a reminder. Man, I, I get that maybe this has been in your family for decades, if not generations, and you've probably done really well in it, just understand that anything can happen at any time. We've seen what Amazon, what kind of a disruptor Amazon can be. You just never know what the next thing coming around the corner is. Both of these companies fared so well through this pandemic, and we're really proud of that. But you shouldn't have any more than 10% of your entire investments in individual stocks because there's just too much risk there. All you need is one stinker. One stinker can just take you down financially. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I don't have have any big concerns about Procter and Gamble being a stinker or anything like that? But you never know. No. People used to think Enron was going to be the future. Foolproof, right? Oh, absolutely. And we all know what would happen with that. So, Kodak. You know, I, I mean, there's so many examples. As a minimum, individual stocks are more volatile than indexes or ETFs or mutual funds that are widely diversified. So that, that's why we're big proponents of diversification. It takes away the worry about one stinker taking down the whole financial portfolio.
And I, this has been my experience with people who own the individual stocks, Steve, they check them, they become obsessed. Oh, yeah. You, you check them yeah. daily, and, and with each swing, you're, you're reading more and more articles about what's going on, and it can just truly drive you crazy. So while these- and the people around these, you drive them yeah, crazy, too. Exactly. Yeah. So while both of these companies are doing well right now, I just think this is a great time to just take stock of your stocks and make sure that you've got everything under control. Here's the Simply Money point. You never know how Wall Street is going to react to news about local companies. That's why it is so important that you stay diversified for the long run. One of our favorite times of the year uh, here at Allworth Financial is we, we just like to eat. I like to eat. Steve likes to eat. Cincinnati Restaurant Week is here, runs through the weekend. And, you know, we don't just like look at the offers. We, we do a deep dive. We do our oh, research. research. We are looking through menus. We are comparing ingredients and prices because we want to make sure that you get the best value out there. Uh, certainly. I, I mean, it's part of our job, isn't it? I, I, yes. Uh, yeah. I, 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 restaurant week is just a good time. You've got over 40 local restaurants participating, um, and, and it, it carries through until the uh, end of this weekend. So, you know, I encourage people go out to some of these restaurants and, and see what they have to offer. You've got three-course meals, um, price fix, either 26 bucks, 36 bucks, or 46 bucks. So, you know, you've got some good choices out there. And, I, you know, one, one of the things about Cincinnati, Amy, there are great restaurants, some of them with live music starting to come back again. And, and you know, let's, let's get out there and try some of these. There, there's some good stuff. Well, and I know there's a lot of people who have not been in restaurants much, yeah, if, it, if yeah. at all, over the past year. You know, my parents didn't start going back to restaurants until just a month or so ago, two weeks post their second vaccine shot. So uh, I think this timing is going to be perfect. And I think a lot of these restaurants are going to see more business than they have in a long time, which, of course, is so welcome because these restaurants have been so hard hit. So if you didn't have plans for the weekend, this might be something you want to add to your list because not only... Will you have an enjoyable experience, but you will also be helping out some businesses that were hit super hard. So we looked through all of your options. We looked at creativity. Uh, we wanted to make sure that you got a good value um, and something that we store, like if it's just a salad and like a scallop on the plate, we're not even going to mention it to you. We're going to dig a little deeper here. So here is where we think, and here's a thing to keep in mind too. Maker's Mark is actually sponsoring Restaurant Week and, and all of these restaurants will have drink deals. We think your best value cocktail, Metropole has what they call the horse's neck for eight bucks, Maker's Mark, <laughs> house-made ginger beer, bitters. I think it sounds really good, actually. Well, you being from Kentucky, I figured you'd look at the one with bourbon in it. So good, of course good, I good did. for you. Hey, before we forget, a dollar from every meal goes to uh, Children's Hospital. So, oh, that's great. Yeah, th th this is th this is important. How about twenty six bucks? Now we're talking. You know, th this is Sprovac land here. I'm going for the cheap options, best value out there. Goose and Elder at Finley Market. I haven't been there, but apparently some of the people that have done the research for us on this uh, love the blistered shishito peppers, duck leg confit, uh, creme brulee. Sounds pretty good for 26 bucks. Yeah, yeah. Firebirds also has a decent two-course $16 lunch. Um, and the first course includes lemon-whipped feta. You can get chicken tortilla soup or a Caesar salad. And then for the main course, this is a honey chili glazed salmon or a Durango burger. Um, I love Restaurant Week for just trying different restaurants, yeah. right, than I normally would. And when you can look at it before you go in and figure out, I'm only going to spend 26 bucks and I'm going to get these things, 
it really makes a lot of sense, I think, for a lot of people. So you're listening to Simply Money tonight here on 55KRC. As we as we break down Restaurant Week for you, where are the best values? Um, let's move to the $36 um, price fix menu. This is for maybe the someone who had a good year, maybe has a little money left over from their uh, stimulus checks, right? Yeah, and, and we've got some good options. Zula probably has the best value. First course, steaming pot of mussels for two, deconstructed lamb and beef moussaka. Second course, crispy skin seared salmon or porcini spice seared duck breast. Third course, this is all in one meal. Third yeah. course, salted caramel cream brulee or house-made gelato. I like that. I mean, for 36 bucks, not bad. Have so, you been to Zula before? I, I have not. Okay, so I think the first time Nathan and I ever went to, out to dinner was actually at Zula. If you've never been there, this isn't over the Rhine. We I have taken since so many people from out of town to Zula, mm-hmm. and they have absolutely loved it. So this is a great restaurant. And I also love uh, Coppins at um, Hotel Covington. Yeah. Uh, first of all, love the Cove. I live in northern Kentucky, and we go there for brunch a lot. My my dad loves this place. Um, they've got, uh, for a first course, zucchini and mint fritters, uh, spiced chickpea and tomato soup. Second course, um, some great pasta, house-made tagliatelle. Uh, chicken piccata, and then almond cake, coffee, cheesecake. Like, this is some good stuff. Making I, me hungry. We always do these shows, like, at dinner time. So, sorry, but maybe some of you are just going to, like, get off your regular route and head to one of these restaurants that right now. That background noise you hear is my stomach rumbling. I need to get <laughs> out of here and have dinner. Hey, you know, high-end range, and, and this is, 46 bucks is not exactly breaking the bank, but this is the high end of, of uh, restaurant week. Nicola's, three-course menu, first course Boucheron goat cheese salad or Berkshire pork belly, which is what I would choose. Uh, Second, uh, crispy potato nachi, seafood risotto. Third, veal filet grouper. Why did did they win? I I mean, a clear favorite. No skimping because they didn't make the third course a dessert like a lot of these places do. And, and, and their I'll, gnocchi, like, it's oh, supposed to be some of the best to, in the city. I've One had of our it. producers. It's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently yeah. says it's like this cheesy goodness, three different kinds of cheeses. Can't go wrong there. Um, and if you are a steak lover, we're not leaving you nope. out either. Eddie Merlot's great restaurant. $46 dinner. You can get a 12 ounce prime rib um, as your main course. Um, and one of the things that we noticed we looked around at some of the steakhouse options were that they had probably just some smaller cuts of meat that you were going to pay. So this is a 12 ounce versus maybe like a six or eight ounce steak that you can get in other places. Um, they do at a $10 upcharge if you want a steak for your main course. Um, Morton's is one of those. So uh, lots of options out there. Uh, and, and you, Steve, you mentioned that we just have this great restaurant scene. I grew up here. We didn't always mm-hmm. have this amazing restaurant scene. So I love you know, people will reach out to me from other parts of the country and say, like, oh, I just read about this Cincinnati restaurant in uh, New York Magazine or, or whatever it is. Yeah, so we have yeah. this this great scene. And I got to tell you, in my little northern Kentucky suburb, I sometimes barely, uh, rarely venture out. Right. I go to the, to. We go to the same restaurant. Right there. So here's the yeah. challenge. Go try something new. Um, these restaurants are offering some, some great options. I knew last year when they were trying to figure out if they were going to do restaurant weekend, I can't, I can't actually recall what they ended up deciding. Um, if, if they did have it, I know a lot of restaurants backed out. Mm-hmm. They just, they're mm-hmm. just weren't options. So restaurants on the rebound, they're giving a dollar of, of everything that you give um, to Children's Hospital yeah. in addition to making sure. And one of the things I love about the restaurant industry, too, 
they went through such a hard time last year. They actually closed down a restaurant and set it up for people who work in the restaurant industry to pick up meals for their families when they were. So this is an industry that's helped each other kind of limp along through this pandemic. So now might be a great time just to give back a little bit. Yeah, and, and and just one one reminder: be nice to the wait staff. I, I yes. waited tables all four years that I was in college, and, and you know during restaurant weeks, um, uh, people may not tip as much as they normally do. Treat them nice, tip them extra. That's a simply money point. Enjoy restaurant week. Just remember, not every customer may not be as nice as you are. We get it. You want to give your kids the world, but can you give them too much? We've seen this scenario many times through the doors of Allworth Financial. Someone comes in, uh, they have the best laid plans for their retirement, and then the kid wants to go to an expensive college. Or they've graduated from college and they can't find the job and they're coming home and you're starting to pay for their bills as well. Yeah, and, and I went through my, my younger son graduated from college with a degree in, in finance in the spring of 2009, Amy. I oh. mean, you talk about just the worst luck in the world. What are you going to do? He knew he was always welcome to come home, and, and you know, you're going to take care of your kids. I'm not so worried about that situation. That's a short-term situation. I worry about the 70-year-old who calls me up and, and says, I need to take out a big chunk of money from my retirement account. Oh, what's going on? Um, well, my adult child, my adult daughter or son is going through a rough time. Okay, let's take a look at how this affects your financial plan. I have there are some cases where people are literally bankrupting themselves over taking care of their kids and, and you know, it's it's a tough situation for an advisor to be in. I think you have to look at this both short term and long term. Yeah. So short term, your child has a need and, and you're not used to turning your back on your kid when they need something, right? And so that's the short term. You just want to help them get through something. But let's project this out however many years. Um, say you're 55 and you want to retire when you're 65. But now you're, you're what was looking like a certain retirement is now looking pretty yeah. uncertain because you're taking this money out. Okay, so long term, the question is, will you need to end up on that child's couch someday because you can no longer support yourself. Yeah. And I think if you're looking at it that way, that you may have to rely on, on, on your kids to get through retirement financially because you're helping them now. I think that changes the entire discussion, the entire dynamic for both of you. It, it does. And, and, you know, the pandemic didn't help things. I mean, people took on a lot of debt. And by people, I mean retirees. The yeah. numbers are staggering. 59% of people between 65 and 74 carry debt because of lending money to family members. That's a big chunk. That's a, a, a big chunk. You know, so so the question is, are you hurting yourself long term? Are, are, are you going to have to have a conversation with your advisor of, hey, uh, if you live past 82, you're out of money. So are you sure you want to still give this money to your adult child? You know, well, I'll get it back. Are you really? You yeah. know, the, yeah, you got to ask yourself these things. And, and you I, going to take your kid to court to get that money back? Yeah, Probably yeah. not. And how do you argue with, well, they're they're my child. I, I, I mean, this is blood. You know, we have to take care of each other. I get that. But, you know, I like what Ed Fink used to say, put make sure you have your financial oxygen mask on for yourself before you help others.
It's so true. And we know that you're not doing that because during the pandemic, we saw that retirees doubled your non-mortgage debt to $19,000. And that tells us, okay, what happened during the past year? What were you, you weren't going to play golf. You weren't visiting the grandkids. You weren't going to Florida. You were likely helping those adult children. And you have to understand the impact that it's going to have on your plan. And we, 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 the, the advice that we give over and over again, the closer you get to retirement, the more you want to look at paying down that debt. And, yeah. and this is a financial consideration, but it's also a mental and emotional one. When you look at your budget, likely the, the, the biggest thing that you're paying out on a monthly basis is, is that mortgage. And if you can wipe that off the books, then you're mentally going into retirement like... It's just like a big weight has been lifted off of yeah. you. And if you're making decisions right now to help the kids that are going to put your ability to do things like that in jeopardy, you got to think twice about it. Yeah, and and I'm hearing that question come up an awful lot because mortgage rates are, are so low. Should should I just keep the mortgage? I'm doing better on my investments. Um, why should I pay off the mortgage? I, I'll tell you why. It's It's a word called anxiety. If you go back a year, Amy, I mean, do you think it was any fun if you're a retiree and you've got a, let's just say, a $750 a month mortgage payment and you're drawing from your retirement account to make that payment and it's April, it's May of 2020 and the market's down substantially? Are you enjoying taking that money out when your account is down? Yeah. No. I, I mean, just get rid of the anxiety. I, I'm sorry. In re, in retirement, you really shouldn't have any mortgage debt. And if you do, if there's any way you can pay it off and, and be smart about the way you pay it off. Also, you might not want to take a big chunk of money out in any one year and bump yourself into the next tax bracket. So pull your investment advisor into the equation, pull your accountant into the equation and say, I want to be out of debt. Does it make sense? How should I pay it off? I'd like to get out from under this. Oh, it- you'll, you'll be happy. And if your kids are younger, you can start having these conversations now. Wow. You know, my oldest is 15 years old. Uh, she's less than a year away from getting her driver's license. I will not be paying for every <laughs> gallon of gas. I will not be paying for all of that insurance. Yeah, yeah. She will need to get a J-O-B, yeah. and she will have to learn some financial independence. And it's okay for them to start learning that at an early age yeah. so that when they get older, maybe they come to you if something catastrophic has happened. Otherwise, they learn to get by on their own. Here's the Simply Money point. Love your children, love your adult children, but certainly not at the expense of your own long-term financial security. Joining me tonight is Mark Serkin, an old friend, uh, dentist, as well as the mayor of Blue Ash. Um, Got to be careful what I ask you, Mark, because you're going to be drilling in my mouth next week, so I'll be, I'll be gentle. How are you? I'm fine, and I promise I'll use anesthetic. <laughs> well, there's always a first time. That's that's good. It'll be interesting. So, hey, hey um, you know, you've been the mayor of Blue Ash for a while now, and and uh, what I like about you being mayor is you're bringing a businessman's perspective to the position. A lot of politicians obviously don't have that experience. You, you've been a dentist and a businessman for, for how many years? 33 years. Yeah. Uh, we owned the practice for 31 and as a lot of dentists and physicians have done, we have turned over the business portion of it, but we are still treating people the same way we have for as long as uh, I've been out of school. So, so you, you're, you're going through the pandemic from two different angles, both in your practice, but also as mayor of, of Blue Ash, one, one of the uh, nice suburbs of, of Cincinnati. Tell me a little bit about how the pandemic has affected each, both your practice and, and uh, the city of Blue Ash. 
Well, I got to say both organizations um, and did a fantastic job of organizing. Um, from the dental practice, we certainly took a pause and just did emergency care for about six or so weeks. And luckily with our practice, as most dentists and physicians, our offices are set up, you know, already 95% to handle uh, you know, this type of virus. So we didn't have to do a tremendous amount, but we also wanted to wait a bit to see how this particular virus was going to be transmitted and were there any extraordinary things we needed to do and change. And I got to say, um, Cordental, who is our business partner, they really did some fantastic things. They, they did keep some employees working to put in the new mandate. They did furlough some workers so that they could collect unemployment. They continued to pay everybody's health insurance, which I thought was incredibly generous, and they did a very good and very efficient job at getting us ready to reopen. Uh, sounds and great. Is- hey, and, and as mayor of Blue Ash, you've been dealing with this on that level also. Have you had to uh, lay anybody off? Have you seen a, 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 a substantial decrease in tax revenues? How has it affected Blue Ash? Tax revenues um, so far have stayed pretty pretty much on on par because of um, the uh, emergency measures that the Ohio legislature put in, or really the governor put in place. Uh, We're expecting that to end in June. And as everybody knows, if we go to everybody who works at home paying taxes at home, it could be overnight possibly a 20% reduction. So we've been preparing for that. That's significant. Um, that is significant. Uh, luckily for Blue Ash, um, they have built up, the administration has built up a significant reserve over the last 10 or 15 years. So we are uh, in, in a good place to deal with a downturn, be it a pandemic or just an economic downturn. So you, you've been planning ahead, which, which obviously uh, makes sense. How, how would you say you're doing compared to uh, some of the other suburbs? You, you think other areas of Cincinnati are, are planning ahead and, and building a rainy day fund like you've been? Well, I don't want to take any credit for that rainy day fund. That's our city administration and council members way earlier than me. They've been working on this for 10 or 15 years, and it made the downturn of 08 and 09 much shallower for the city. So please don't give me any credit for that. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> I, I think you might have had a little hand in it. Yeah, You know, it's interesting that um, the, the pandemic is, and our own company also has forced a, a lot of people to, to, to work remotely. And, you know, the, the, the big guessing game now is how is this going to pan out? Is this going to be a, a permanent change in, in lifestyle and in uh, working place America where, where people continue to work remotely and, and I'm it's I'm starting to see a little pushback from individuals uh, that they work remotely but continue to pay local income tax to uh, an area that they don't live in and and uh, you know we're we're seeing a senator from the state of Ohio that is introducing a bill uh, Christina Rogner uh, she wants to end the temporary accommodation that's allowing cities. Uh, to collect income tax from people temporarily working from their suburban homes. This would be a game changer, I I would think, Mark, uh, for any uh, suburb where uh, people are paying local income tax to a municipality where their company is located, yet they're working from their home in a different municipality. How would that affect Blue Ash? Are, 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 Are you seeing a fair number of people 
working remotely that this might impact tax revenues for Blue Ash? Uh, it certainly might. Um, the whole idea of a permanent change to pay where you actually are sitting at a desk, you know, really changes this longstanding system. I mean, decades-old system sure. where municipalities, you know, have to provide services to enable employers to, to come and operate in their, in their city. You have to zone accordingly. You have to track businesses. So, um, wow, if it's a permanent change, I really hope there's some compromises because it really changes how cities would be designed. Um, I think it would be so detrimental to a city like Cincinnati. I mean, you, you want to talk, they don't have the ability to cut back 10 or 20%. No. You know, most of, most of municipalities' uh, services are not rainy day. You know, it's not the choice. You have to have police and fire and stoplights and, and gas lines and all the things that you have to have. That doesn't go away, and that's a good 70 75% of what our budget is. Wow. So yeah, you just that... can't cut out 10 or 20% and think that the city of Cincinnati is going to have an easy time as every single city in the, in the state of Ohio. Hey, and that same problem. Uh, yeah, I, I can't imagine cities that have been on the edge or, or some that, that have been getting deeper in the hole over the last couple of years. Um, that, that could be the, the, the final nail in the coffin for, for some of these cities. I, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, Blue Ash has always been a, a well-run uh, city, and I, I think you're doing a, a fantastic job. I, I've enjoyed uh, quite a few of the perks. I, I mean, Red, White, and Blue Ash, free concerts, a um, lot of great programs going on, fantastic rec center. Uh, are, are you seeing any, any need where you may have to pull back because of the reduced tax revenues from any of these programs? Well, luckily, um, a lot of the reductions came without really choice. You know, we did have to cancel a lot of events. Obviously, we didn't have any July 4th last year. Um, parades and, and concerts, you know, certainly were, were basically put on hold. The rec center was closed for a while. Um, so we did have a reduction in outflow. We didn't hire a lot of part-timers last summer because they weren't necessary. Um, status of events coming forward, um, for the short term, we're going to try to do as much as we can. We've gotten the rec center open. We realized how important our parks are this last year. Um, we have some decisions to make about the big events, depending on where we are with the pandemic. Yeah. I think we're going to have some modifications to say the least. We have to make those decisions about July 4th, probably by the end of the month for sure. That, that was my big um, question. Do you, do you think red, yeah. white, and blue can happen this year? I, I guess that's a tough yeah. tough call at this point. Yeah, the Recreation Department's really working out the details, and it, it's going to be modified, to say the least. Um, yeah. But we're not at that final decision day. That's going to probably be, like I said, by the end of April for sure. Um, summer concerts, same same situation? Yeah, still kind of on. We're going we're gonna to definitely delay and not start them as early as we do the ones that we do downtown Blue Ash on Friday nights. We're definitely not going to start, I believe, until July at the earliest. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it really depends on the numbers and CDC and what comes from the governor's office before we make those decisions. We don't want to be a Petri dish. We don't want to be the crash test dummies. Sure. So sure. we're going to be we're going to be careful. Yeah. And, and obviously makes uh, makes a lot of sense. Um, you've been listening to Simply Money, Mark Serkin, Mayor of Blue Ash. Mark, Mark, thanks so much. I, I, I mean, you're doing a fantastic job, and, and I, I think all of the uh, municipalities across not just Ohio but across the country, um, they're, they're keeping a real close eye on trends and tax revenues and things like that. You've been doing a great job. I appreciate your joining us. 
Thank you so much, Steve. Oh, you bet. You've been listening to Simply Money on 55KRC, the talk station. You've been listening to the best of Simply Money. Now, if you could do us a favor, send the show to a friend if you think they may benefit from it as well. At All Worth Financial Retirement is what we do.